Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Friday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. We left off Wednesday with a wedding invitation. And today, you and I will attend a wedding at Cana in Galilee. I turn over to John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Now, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. On the third day, that is, Jesus, Philip, Nathaniel, and the others walked from Jericho, crossing the Jordan River to the east side, walking north up to Bethshon or Sethopolis, and then crossing back over at Sethopolis. And Jesus would have cut diagonally across the Jezreel Valley to Nazareth, and the others would have continued north up to the Sea of Galilee. But if you've been traveling with Jesus, that journey walking from the Jordan River opposite Jericho up north is about a three-day journey. Men would walk roughly 20 to 30 miles a day. Uh, that's certainly doable. We've walked the Camino de Santiago and we average about 20 miles a day. On a hard day, maybe 25. But back then, in Jesus' day, they were used to walking. And easy three-day journey from Jericho up to uh, Sean or Sethopolis. Easy walk. So on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. So if you were with Jesus and you walked for three days together, you met him and knew, although you knew him, you didn't fully comprehend him until this moment of Jesus' baptism, of the wilderness temptation and coming back. Now you know. And if you were with him, walking with him for three days, would you want to leave him? Not me. I don't want to go with him. So I bet when they came to Sethopolis and it's time to split up, Jesus to go to Nazareth, the others go up to uh, Bethsaida. I don't think Jesus wanted to leave them either. So he looked at them. They were all hesitant. And he said, would you guys like to come to a wedding? Sure. So they all cut across the Jezreel Valley, and they go up to Nazareth. Now, Cana is about seven kilometers, maybe, uh, from Nazareth. It's a neighboring town, neighboring village, and that's where the wedding was to be. Jesus' mother, Mary, was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Well, Jesus and Mary had been invited because they lived there in the town, and they knew the family in Cana, but the other guys weren't invited to the wedding. Oh no, they were. Jesus invited them to the wedding. So we read that when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, and I have to admit, I think this is a very funny scene. So they run out of wine at the wedding. Now, that would be unheard of. When you have a wedding in the Middle East, it is a big deal. I've been to Palestinian Christian weddings in Bethlehem. The whole town turns out and the wedding celebration lasts for several days. It's a big event. 
And of course, there's a caterer that puts everything together, orders enough food for everyone for who knows how long, and enough wine. But they run out of wine. And Jesus' mother, Mary, said to Jesus, and I can picture her with her arms crossed in front of her, raising one eyebrow and saying, they have no more wine. Now, why would she tell Jesus that? And that's what he thinks. Dear woman, why, why do you involve me? My, my time's not yet come. Look, I, I, why are you telling me this? Then his mother raised her eyebrow again and said to one of the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Why did Mary say to Jesus, they have no more wine? Unless having no more wine had something to do with him and inviting guests who hadn't been on the guest list. <laughs> they run out of wine. Well, six stone water jars of 20 to 30 gallons each. That is 150 to 180 gallons of water. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them right up to the top. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet, the caterer. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Now he didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he was very embarrassed. He called the bridegroom aside. He said, I, I, I made a terrible mistake here. Everyone brings out the best wine first, and then the two buck chuck after the guests have had too much to drink but I saved the best until now. I am so sorry. You spent so much money on that stag's leap wine. Oh, I am so embarrassed. This, the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. So he turns the water into wine. And, and I, I just have to laugh every time I read the story because it had something to do with the guests that Jesus had invited. <laughs> the first of the miraculous signs. The best wine. Well, I've been to Cana many times. In fact, this past year, I had a family group in Cana and uh, they renewed their wedding vows at the wedding chapel in Cana. But we didn't buy any wine because, well, I've been to Cana many times. It is the absolute worst wine you've ever tasted. You want good wine? Go up on the Golan Heights to the wineries up there. Well, this sign Jesus performed in Galilee. He made the best wine, the best wine ever in Cana, and nothing else ever came close to it. And he thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Now, 
immediately after the wedding, when everything was over, I imagine it went for two or three days, everything was over. And after this, at John 2, verse 12, he went down to Capernaum with his mother, Mary, and brothers and his disciples. And there they stayed for a few days. So after the big wedding at Cana and all the wine running out and turning another water into another 180 gallons of wine, they go to Capernaum for the after party at Peter's house. And they stay for a few days. Now in John, the scene cuts. Very next verse, when it was almost time for Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. So we have a gap of time between verses 12 and 13 in John chapter 2. What happens during that time? Well, I'd like to turn back to the gospel according to Matthew and begin to fill in the blanks. Why did Jesus relocate to Capernaum? He went to Peter's home. They stayed for a few days for the after party. But then Jesus relocates to Capernaum. Capernaum, if we think of the Sea of Galilee as a clock. Capernaum is maybe 10.30 on the clock. Why there? The Via Maris, the main international trade route leaving Egypt, parallels the Mediterranean coast all the way up to Masada, then cuts across the Jezreel Valley, right up around the west side of the Sea of Galilee, right past Capernaum, and then on up to Damascus. It's the main international land trade route. Capernaum was a wealthy town of maybe 15,000 people, and it was right on the trade route. Just south of Capernaum is Magdala, or Migdal, that's where Mary Magdalene was from. And all that commercial fishing that ran on the Sea of Galilee, the fish were brought into Magdala, or Migdal, where the fish were processed and then put on transportation on the Via Maris and taken north and south. Migdal was a fish processing plant, if you will, and Capernaum, was a very wealthy town because of that. It was right there with it on the main trade route. So if you want to get the gospel message, if Jesus wanted to get his teaching out to the world, what better place to do it than Capernaum, where all the international trade passed through? He'll choose Matthew as one of his apostles, Matthew the tax collector. He collected tolls on the trade route, on the Via Maris. Well, Jesus relocates to Capernaum and he lives in Peter's home for three years, a three-year public ministry. We read in Matthew chapter 4 at verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Teaching, preaching, and healing. He went throughout Galilee to all their synagogues teaching, preaching, and healing. Josephus, the contemporary historian of that day, was 
in the Roman military. He was a Jew, but he was in the Roman military, and his territory was Galilee. His area of operation was Galilee. He knew Galilee. And Josephus writes that there were 240 towns and villages in Galilee. And Jesus went throughout teaching, preaching, and healing. Along the way, picking up his disciples and uh, forming his inner circle, and they traveled together. News about him spread all over Syria, and the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them all. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis. Decapolis were 10 Gentile cities, Deca, 10, Polis City, 10 Gentile cities, nine of them on the east side of the Sea of Galilee or Jordan River, and one on the west side, and that was Scythopolis, where the fording point was back across the Jordan River just south of the Sea of Galilee. They came from Jerusalem, Judea, and the whole region across the Jordan were coming to hear him and see him and bringing people to him. Huge crowds of people. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. So if Jesus lives at Capernaum, been to Capernaum many a time, where is the mountainside? Well, it's not really a mountain, it's more like a hill, but it's what we call the Mount of Beatitudes, where Jesus would teach. From Capernaum to the Mount of Beatitudes is about maybe a 20-minute walk, uh, half hour at the most. We drive it in a matter of seven or eight minutes, not very far, and it's a hill, but it's a concave-shaped hill with the arena, if you will, facing west. Now, the Mediterranean to the west, the breeze blows off the Mediterranean eastward, and it funnels through the Arbel Pass and cuts right across the Sea of Galilee to the Golan Heights on the east side. The breeze carries a voice. And if Jesus sits or stands, he sat to teach, if he sits on the hillside and the crowd is above him in the natural amphitheater, he could speak and the crowd could hear him quite clearly. I've done it. I mentioned this on a previous podcast. We used to be able to walk down that hillside. Today, it's agricultural area and it's fenced off. We're not allowed to walk on it anymore. But I would sit down by the bottom of the hill. My group would sit on the hillside and I would teach this very teaching on the Mount of Beatitudes. And they could hear me without a microphone, perfectly fine. So Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on that mountainside on the Mount of Beatitudes and he sat down to teach. In Jesus' day, the teacher sat, the student stood. I rather like that idea. I think I'll reinstitute it in our live classes, should they ever come back after COVID. So he began to teach. This is the Sermon on the Mount. It is a brilliant teaching, very simply structured. 
with a clever and memorable introduction. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed is A, for they shall be B. Blessed is C, for they shall be D. Notice the repetition of pattern and the repetition of sound. And each blessed, in Latin it's beatus, hence the beatitudes, but each one is counterintuitive. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I would think blessed are the rich in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. I would think blessed are those who are joyful. They're counterintuitive and they're clever. So it's a clever and memorable introduction. Followed by six propositions that exceed the law. You've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So we have the clever and memorable introduction, nine points. We have six propositions that exceed the law. Then six concrete actions to implement the law. And then a clever and memorable call to action. What a simple structure. And we'll be looking at this Sermon on the Mount in some detail in our next podcast. We'll begin with the Sermon on the Mount. Hey, thank you for being with me. I'm a little short this time, about 18 minutes, but I didn't want to get into the Sermon on the Mount and have to cut it off in the middle. So let's hold that until next time, and I'll be back with you. Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. Thank you, friends. Bye-bye now. Mm -hmm.